Welcome to Data Chats, a podcast by Pragmatic Institute and the Data Incubator, where we tackle data topics and trends with experts, industry leaders, instructors, and alumni. I'm your host, Chris Richardson. Today, I'm sitting down with Ahmed Namini, business analytics professor at Brandeis University and data analytics instructor at the Data Incubator, who has held leadership roles across the financial investment management industry. Ahmed, thank you for talking to me today. I look forward to hearing all of your insights about the different roles there are, the different ways of structuring data teams, but let's get to you first. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about you and your experience. I'm probably very nerdy for most people. I got my PhD <laughs> years ago, back in, uh, it was over 30 years ago, and uh, it was in a field known as computational mechanics, which is a way of modeling um, engineering processes on a computer. So from that, I did that. I was a professor. I eventually um, went into the financial role. I worked on Wall Street, where the whole premise was in finance to build signals to trade upon. All of this was from voluminous amounts of data. You know, the data comes from exchanges, from brokers, and whatever. So I realized very early, I, I get a gut. I have to get on top of all of these uh, types of data mm -hmm. and then to discern a story about that data. So the bottom line is I eventually did that for about uh, 15 years. And then my wife was tired of me not being home. So I was told to go become a professor somewhere so that I could actually have time for the children and her. So now that I've done that, I think she wants me to go back to like Wall Street. No, I I'm just kidding. <laughs> Well, yeah, so it's great that you have diverse experience, right? You have the, the business experience of Wall Street. You also have the academic experience of, of earning a PhD and teaching as well. So, you know, you've seen a lot of different data landscapes. Maybe right. you can say a little bit about the different ones that you've seen. So maybe there's a similarity, maybe there's differences. Obviously, it depends on the sort of industry you're talking about, but maybe you can give us a big picture view of what the data landscape might look like in terms of who works where or how things are set up? Absolutely. Um, what you find out is data is being produced everywhere at all times under so many different conditions. If you are a social media company, you have the user interaction, how people interact with your site. Mm -hmm. You may actually be in the advertisement field and you want to figure out, well, how are people interacting? What are they buying? Uh, what are they returning possibly? What are they browsing? All of this is being captured. I mean, you know, whether that's good or bad, you are getting a personalized view into what you could buy. From my background, it was mainly in finance and finance is very much geared towards here are all of the stock market quotes here. I was primarily in fixed incomes. It was like bond prices, credit default swaps, mortgage-backed securities. And the bottom line is these are being traded. There are analyst reports. There are, um, let's say, news that will affect it at the government level, level or institution bias. All of this is data. And mm -hmm. it, it, it could be textual. It could be a number. It could be a spike in prices that you're always trying to tell the story and figure out what like we call in finance a signal. And that signal means, in the end, some kind of action, whether you buy or sell or hold or hedge against some uncertainty, which has now occurred. 
So what I like to always say is tell the story of your data and then figure out what are the action items. And sometimes there are no action items because you're not sure, you know, you're uncertain. But it's, uh, it's finally gotten what I would say is the notoriety because most corporations, most uh, entities believe that the data is the information flow that makes them do the best in terms of a decision-making process. Yeah, I like how you say that too, because I've been working, I'm an instructional designer. I've been working on this course for Pragmatic called uh, Business Driven Data Analysis. And the whole, the crux of that whole course, it's an eight-week course, and we're talking really about taking data, taking information, taking signal, and creating actionable insights, which is not an easy thing to do, especially in a business context. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, the one thing about business leaders in general that have to make this actionable items is if, they, if they truly understand what the data is and what it, what it is and what it is not. Just because you have data, it, there could be a lot of things like noise. You know, yeah. These are things that are just not important, but it's there. Two is that, how you massage that data to put into a framework in an operational sense at your firm is very important too. For instance, in finance, if the data is stale and old, it has no meaning whatsoever. Even though you captured it correctly, whatever. Mm -hmm. I, I remember on Wall Street, we would like get on tick data in an algorithmic trading, something like two terabytes of data per day. By the time you analyze it and was able to make a decision on what to do, the opportunity was already lost. You know, so what's the point? Now you can view it in terms of trying to predict in a regime type way. What I've seen in the past is a good way to uh, to predict what I may see in the future. That kind of stuff works in business. You have to be able to understand, let's say, your audience, your operations, whatever that you do. Mm -hmm. And the data is a proxy for giving you something to measure and understand what you can manage. Like there's an old adage in business schools, you can only manage what you can measure. I think that's a very, very, very important concept. Yeah. And there's so many ways to do that and to arrange teams that do that. So I'd like it if you could maybe, yeah, start to fill in the blanks of where if you were if you were putting people together to make an ideal data team for a general business what kind of roles what kind of responsibilities would you be looking at what are the main ones yeah great question i honestly believe there's there's three forms one is a data engineer one's a data analyst and one's a data scientist unfortunately they all uh, are very generic terms everyone's different but an engineer a data engineer. That's the, the person, the group of people that are, that are trying to make sure that the information flow is happening. So they're typically software development types. They build what's called data pipelines where they know they got to get the data from that source. It comes into my corporation. I then have to clean it. If, if something is missing, I impute some kind of data into it. Mm -hmm. This is then being, uh, also archived and it's also being then spit downstream so that the data 
analyst can now take that data and discern some kind of, let's say, business or actionable intelligence from all of that data. Then the data scientists are people that are probably more theoretical. It, it doesn't have to be this way, but the theoretical is that if you have something that's rather uh, involved, they may take existing models and modules that everybody has and now really fine tune it to something that's more specific. These people are rather, um, you know, they probably have higher degrees than most, but, but the goal is to, to have this team work in a, say, group environment where everybody understands each other's roles, but at the same time, data comes in, there's a workflow, and in the end, what you're trying to do is to generate some alpha, that's like a financial term, some kind of edge. And that edge in business could be profits. It could be uh, better uh, compliance recognition and so forth. So that's kind of the pipeline, the groups of people. I would say to be a very good data scientist, you have to know what data analysts do. And both of them have to understand what an a data engineer strongly urge that all three of them have to interact with each other at all times so that they fully understand what are the impediments for them doing their job incorrectly. Yeah. And actually you hit on exactly what I wanted to ask you about. I think we hear a lot about these amazing uh, data stories where, you know, you find some insight, you make so much money off of that insight and it's just perfect. These are the kind of promises implicit or explicit that a lot of companies are selling that want to you know get into Absolutely. or or get contracts but i think most data projects fail or don't deliver what they say they will and so i want to ask you about those problems like why or where do we see problems in that pipeline you just spoke about yeah i would honestly say it comes down to two words and that's uh, managing expectations mm -hmm. um, everybody nowadays believes that data science and machine learning in general can solve everybody's problems. It's just not true. Mm -hmm. It's a function of your data. What data do I have? What has been collected from who, when and where? And now the question is, if I have that data, everybody's first reaction is, we got something, where is the alpha? Where is the money? Where is the profit? That's not necessarily true. It's a function of what questions do you want to answer at the business leadership level? And then does the data exist to answer those questions? And once I get a certain answer, does that make sense? But more importantly, and this is something a lot of people fail to realize, what is the operational aspect of making this work? So not only do I have a report that comes in every day, or I can now do some scenario type analysis and see if I do this or that, it's not that easy. And the expectations is the key. And I'm sure that business leaders are like, hey, we, we just have to do this. And you know this is going to solve all of our problems. But it's really more than that. It's doing a deep dive into what the data is, what story is it telling me? And based upon the expectation of a business leader, can, can I make some alpha, some kind of profit from this insight? And if the answer is yes, then it is utopian. You know, it's perfect mm -hmm. because now you've invested, you're getting 
the right kind of metrics. And when you realize and implement that, you're actually making money. That's perfect. Unfortunately, it's not true. The other big problem, and I'm sorry to be so long-winded, but um, the other big problem is that um, it's not easy to formulate and communicate between business leaders that are thinking about the business and the data science pipeline that I spoke about earlier, because sometimes they don't talk the same language. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, one thing that I would strongly urge is that the data pipeline people work with the business and the business people work with the data science pipeline people because they have to understand each other. Data people should understand the business domain knowledge. If you're in finance, you got to understand finance. If you're in insurance, you got to understand insurance. If you're in marketing, you got to understand marketing. While the other group should say, what does data science can do and what can it not do? So it's it's like you just got to find a way to understand each other's goals, constraints, uh, problems, and what they are good at. Yeah. And, you know, as someone with a lot of experience in academia, there's been this trend both in industry and in training to, to at, the, at the same time, you hyper-specialize because knowledge is the domains that you need are so complex that you get a lot of people with super specific degrees or, or educations, but then there's also this problem that people don't understand each other then. And so ideally you have a broad range of interdisciplinary knowledge. Have you seen ways in which people can um, work to achieve those things? Like what advice might you have? Because I I think a lot of people are coming in with very specific scientific degrees, don't speak the business language and vice versa. You know, how do you do that without spending your time getting 10 degrees or something? Yeah, I really think the bottom line is that you got to have a culture that kind of wants to breed that kind of interaction. Mm -hmm. Um, Not that I was successful at this when I was on Wall Street because I was not really in charge uh, when I first got into it. But what what I found out is that any form of networking uh, gatherings, Let's say uh, we had uh, short courses, we had talks. Anytime you can get people in the same room from the different disciplines that you were talking about in terms of manage and and data science, you want that kind of cross-fertilization. Here's what we can do. Can we do it here now? You know, it's like, here is what can be achieved in data science. Can we implement it here now? And that kind of thing is that, that that culture breeds certain interactions and new thoughts that will only help the actual culture. Even if you find out and say, this isn't gonna work here, then that's okay as long as you realize if this is what you wanna do, how, how do I achieve that? And I know from finance, some of the best trades that people make are the ones that they don't make, you know? And mm-hmm. you will always learn and always understand better if you, if you just have that kind of interaction. How you achieve that as I went up the corporate ladder is that I think people at the top set the example. Uh, I'm very hands-on coder. Um, people always liked that, which meant I could talk to coders, but then I understood the theoretical aspects of uh, quantitative analysis on finance. So the quants like me and traders, in general, they just want to make money. And I understand that too. 
when you can set an example by being what you need to be and not just in a facade way, you really know people really appreciate that. And I have found that people like to work with me, but that's mainly because I like to work with them. And uh, some people have very large corporations. They just don't have the time. And that's always like a concern. Very good people that would love to do it. They, they just don't have the time. So I don't know if I have the answer, but I would say that developing the culture that breeds that kind of interaction is the key. Yeah, that's no, that's really helpful. And I want to take a step back from that and think about if you are part of an organization, part of maybe like a hiring team, a hiring committee, and you want to create a, a data culture, maybe it's not there. Maybe you have one or two people, but you're really looking to grow it. What kind of things would you recommend looking for? Because I think the temptation is, okay, I just heard what Ahmed said. We got to get a data engineer. We got to get a data analyst and we got to get a data scientist. But obviously those are too generic and you won't necessarily get the people you actually want, but you will get someone with that title or with that experience. So how do you make it somebody you actually want to somebody who's actually going to serve the organization really well? It's a great question. I personally think that the skill set is by far, you know, if you are, if you are a baseball team, you got to make sure you got people that can hit field and pitch period. So these people in the data science pipeline, they've got to be able to code. They've got to understand statistics and all of the algos that you could use in machine learning. And then because of this, you've also got to have the infrastructure, you know, like we have the computing facilities. We have the ability for you to go and retrain yourself on certain things. By far, the most important one is you got to then have somebody that you hire that's got natural curiosity, because if you're just stagnant in your field and these are the types of skill sets that are constantly changing for the better, you need that kind of like champion of I'm not satisfied with what I know now. There's always going to be something new. Technology in general, machine learning in particular in the past five or 10 years, it's constantly changing. You need someone to be on top of that. Just as important. So if you can pass those like skill sets, do I want to work with you? You know, and HR departments are fantastic all over the country trying to figure out what type of HR, let's say, processes to vet the actual candidate. In general, a lot of foreign born people are, you know, they don't understand the American way yet. They're getting better all the time. You know, here at Brandeis, I spent a lot of time just to make sure that people understand this is how you work in an American corporation, some kind of entity. Then third is um, with regards to that, is that they understand what they have to do. And that really comes down to the employer really being able to espouse what they want. And I know we have job descriptions in general and they kind of give that sense, but I think it's more specific. I think sometimes it's very generic mm-hmm. and, and let's say an HR department or even your project team manager, they, might, they may not fully understand the subtleties of what you're looking for. You want somebody that walks on water is a great guy, to be with or gal, sorry. And um, I think I think the bottom line is that you've got to find somebody 
that can walk on water, is very sociable and understands, got this natural curiosity, but at the same time fully appreciates what data science is and what it's not. And it's not the utopian, but it's pretty good right now. You know, it's like it's got a lot of real um, traction because it's producing results. And I think anybody worth their weight in gold would just should jump at the opportunity to always learn and always do better at what they know and what they don't know and to get a lot better in the ability to instruct and help the business do a better job for themselves. Yeah, I mean, I think that is such an important thing to recognize is that there are these sort of generic skill sets like taking in data, cleaning it, analyzing it, sharing or presenting it, but then there are sort of implicit skill sets. I wonder if you could speak a little more to that. Like, is there, are there things that don't get necessarily into the job call or the posting, but that are often things that you need to know? So if you were coming from somewhere else, you wouldn't know it, but you need to know it. Yeah. I honestly believe that business domain knowledge is like the key. Just because I'm a data scientist or a data engineer or a data analyst, it doesn't mean I can divorce myself from the concept of what is this corporation trying to do? We're trying to sell as many widgets as like possible. What is a widget? How is it manufactured? How do we know that like the quality is there? You've got to put yourself in that role. You're never going to be as good as the person in the business, but that's okay because you're working with these people, you're interacting with these people and you should have some dialogue and say, hey, I got this result. Does that make sense? And you're like, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so it's gotta be that kind of inf- uh, that kind of feedback, that biofeedback where I'm learning from them and they're like teaching me and they're learning from me and I'm teaching them. And when you have that, I think you're building that culture and you're getting a better product. Now that's a lot easier said than done, but at the same time, that's what you have to strive for. Yeah. Well, I love what you said about creating and fostering a learning culture because you need to adapt. You need to continue learning. How do you, how do you do that when, I mean, it's funny, just, you know, you mentioned wanting somebody who walks on water, somebody who's amazing, who's super qualified, but part of learning is to accept that I don't know things. I'm vulnerable because, you know, I'm, I have imperfect knowledge at best and I want to grow. So like there's an inherent need to accept your vulnerability and your lack of knowledge, but also you want to show that you walk on water maybe. So how do you balance those things? Yeah. I mean, I honestly think that honesty is the best policy. I think any company fully appreciates that nobody really walks on water. Mm-hmm. Nobody is fully qualified to do high tech and be part of the business on day one. And when you get somebody that's honest, enthusiastic, and is a team player and is willing to work with the company in any role that they feel. And I think that if you're pigeonholed in one part of the business, you're doing a disservice for that person and the mm-hmm. corporation. They should really try to understand. They bring a skill set. That's why that you hired them. And the more they learn about the business, the more that they're going to become a lot better in helping you drive some profitability. Yeah. So it seems like uh, if I'm understanding you correctly, you want to be able to share as much 
of the big picture with people as you can and have a dialogue about that. Right. Absolutely agree. And, you know, things like corporate statements mean absolutely nothing or very minimal to most people. So you can't talk on in the language of the business or the financial um, analyst type. You got to talk them in terms of what can data tell me and how does that affect how my business is going to operationally be run or decision-making processes can be consumed and used to make much better, higher profitability type of decisions. And I don't know if I know all of the answers, but at the same time, everyone is different. I know in finance, the key is to have groups coming together from different uh, roles and you foster that kind of interaction through events and just it turns into a daily occurrence at work. We meet in the morning and go, well, that didn't work yesterday, so let's do better. Or they, you find out that was great. Is this going to be sustainable, you know, and just so forth. So it's all about setting goals, setting processes to get the right people there and then to foster that kind of, um, I don't want to use the word incubation, that's not the right word, but some kind of, um, you just want that to become part of the culture. You want that to be something that nobody even thinks about, they just do it. I, I help you, what do you need from me, period. Yeah, I think that, I mean, that's obviously such an important aspect that it seems, if it's done well, seems natural, but it takes a lot of thought, a lot of uh, planning and, and practice. How, if you were to take a team that is good and try to make them put in a process or alter certain things so that they become amazing, they become uh, far better than good, what kinds of things might you, you be able to do to that team, whether it's um, you know, cultural or whether it's in terms of hiring new roles? Where have you seen or what, what, what advice might you have for companies that have you know, a decent data team but they could make it so much better by making these changes. Yeah, I mean, being from finance and you know the salary structures are that you get a base and then a bonus. I mean, that, that always works because you know if if you do well, then you're going to make money, and there's more uh, people share in that. The thing about finance is it's also driven by your P and L. If you make money, then you must be good. I think that's probably not a good mandate for most corporations. It should be more like, are you contributing to the overall scheme of making profitability? And the reason why I gave up that, gave that finance analogy is that, you know, there's a group of four or 10 people that are in charge of a certain asset class. If they make money, a lot of money, they, they must be good. So what you measure and how you understand who are the contributors or not, it's very hard. Um, it's, uh, I'm not saying it's political, but it's got to be such that the politics doesn't matter. You got to produce. People love to be incentivized and also congratulated for a job well done. And if they're not doing a job well done, then do they need something to actually help them do a better job, more resources, more training, whatever it is. 
But um, I think that kind of honest assessment in general, I hope I'm not being naive in this, but I think the honest assessment is something that people should really welcome. Every time that I had a review, I loved it because it made me feel like here's where I was good and here's where I was bad. What do I got to do now to help myself better? But in the end, you know, like your your program at Pragmatic is fantastic because in the end, you got to have the skills. You cannot play in this game unless you have the skills and skills of being a data engineer or, or a data scientist or a data analyst. I think that's like a given. And you'll also find out that in groups, people will learn from each other, especially in skills, you know, like, oh, I didn't know that you could do that. Can you show me how? You know, that happens all the time. Yeah, it's interesting because maybe finance is a, a different beast when it comes to risk and taking risk, which is related to vulnerability, but also a little different, right? Because I think in, in a lot of companies, depending on where they are, they'll encourage risk because that will lead to innovation. Now, if you're, you know, if you're trading in the billions, you don't necessarily want to encourage a lot of risk, but at right. the same time, you don't want to get stagnant and not make improvements. So have you seen ways to sort of temper encouraging risk or, or trial and error, but at the same time, not, you know, losing billions while you do it or, or yeah. creating really big issues? Because you don't want to do that, of course. Yeah, I think the best boss I ever had, and he's very famous portfolio manager, he actually allowed us to fail on a small scale, you know, because we would learn from that. And once we understood what we did wrong or how that we can become better, then we had a lot more capital. And that's a very finance way of thinking. So that by, by the time you get a very big portfolio, in theory, you know what you're doing. For non-financial jobs, and you know, I'm sorry to be so finance-driven in like a hedge fund slash investment bank uh, mode, but I think people should understand that failing is not bad, but you got to learn from it. And if the scale is such that you're taking on a small project and you build that kind of rapport, that kind of working dynamic, and you produce something, then you're given more of the responsibility and more of, um, let's just say, a say at the table. And I think that that's important. And that's really some kind of notoriety that you'll gain within the firm. But failing is not a bad thing, but it's got to be on a scale that is management, manageable for the firm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you seen it work well? Like we, we hear phrases like, you know, uh, fail better, the famous, you know, aphorism, the idea that you, you learn from failure. I think a lot of people will say like, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. But then when they see it, they don't actually learn. They either don't learn from it. They try to hide it because, you know, they don't want that in their review yeah. or whatever. And then managers also don't want to have people who fail, even though they, they might say they encourage it. So how can you actually put that into yeah. practice? Um, I personally, um, that's a great comment, by the way. Um, me dealing with a lot of technical people in general, I have found that that's okay. I mean, technical people realize that the landscape of doing everything right all the time is very hard. I mean, it's just too complex, too many moving parts, whatever. So I don't really have the, I don't, I'm not sure that I have the background to actually tell you the right answer or 
even give you a plausible answer, but I honestly believe that people are worth, like the people that are like the modest people that understand what they're also not seem to be the people that I would gravitate towards because nobody is perfect. And, and failure, um, you know, the old Apollo 11 is not an option. Um, I think it's also failure, you should learn from it. And if you learn from it, then eventually you're not going to have that many failures or that, or that they're going to be small in general. And, you know, investing in data, the beauty of it in the culture and all of the skill sets is that you're only going to get answers to what the data can tell you. So there is no failure option. It's just that you are giving a point of view from the data that you have collected, analyzed, and presented. That in general can be used then by the decision makers. And the more you give them that's those kinds of options, the better they can do their job. And I think, um, and if you find out that the, that the premise of the project was such that the data could not give you those answers, that to me is, is not a failure. That's like, ah, now I understand that I can't have what I thought I wanted. It's only because we're not capturing it or, or it's computationally too hard to actually get. Yeah. I don't view that as a failure. Yeah, well, and that's interesting because that's what I've heard as well in doing research and talking to people is that that, that always happens but people don't necessarily know how to express that, how to talk about it, how to right. learn from it, because that's often not emphasized or, or taught. You know, you don't right, right. usually learn those skills explicitly. You have to learn from practice. Right. I, I, would, I would tell everybody that there's no shame in failing, but there is shame in failing and not really learning from it. So that's kind of the like synopsis of that. Um, data projects are hard. And the resources and the people and the skill sets are hard to come by, but you've got to cultivate it because especially in the business world, as we speak, everyone's doing it because they're discerning real value from it. And, you know, the proof is, the proof is in the pudding. You know, if you're making more money because of it, that's great. Now, why is that working? And if you're not, why not? And I don't want to... I don't want your audience to feel like this is the utopian and you do it and everybody makes money. Mm -hmm. It's still a lot of market forces out there that are hurting you or helping you. But in data, it's very simple. Maybe the consumer is changing. Maybe the financial markets are changing. Maybe, you know, so you've got to have this adaptive approach that things change, but we're getting the same data are we building new models or are we telling the story has changed? And then when the story goes back to something that we've seen already, can we reconstitute what we did before? So the one thing that I've learned is the operational side is actually pr pretty important because just to say it and see it is not enough. You've got to, it's got to breed within the entire organization of the company. Yeah. I mean, and you've just hit on what makes data so interesting and frustrating at the same time, right? It's even once you think you have the perfect algorithm or the perfect solution to a data project, things change. And so you have to keep right. going. It's never going totally to be the agree. same thing. Totally agree.
So that said, I mean, you've, you've helped, uh, you've helped me and listeners, I'm sure un- better understand what to look for and view how to view the sort of data landscape when it comes to uh, gaining business insights, creating uh, data-driven teams or organizations. Is there anything you think we might not have addressed or anything that people might not know that they should about creating teams, working with teams, organizing teams within, within the business context? Yeah, um, I think that that like whole concept that I was talking about the culture and the actual interaction, there's two models. One is very distributed across the firm. So you have a few uh, data engineers and so forth, data science sprinkled throughout the business, or should they be autonomous and then you can grab their time in some fashion? I really like the first one better where they're part of the business and you got a smaller team. They kind of report to a larger group possibly. But I think the problem is that's that's very expensive. It's hard to find people. Um, it's hard to build or duplicate all of these resources. So I don't know the answer. I think every company is different. But I just want to say is you got to have that kind of interaction. And you want them to learn the business, the business domain knowledge. The other big one is that everyone's different and um, having real big rules and, you know, uh, certain unbendable constraints, I'm not sure is good, Uh, especially in the marketplace where data engineers and scientists and uh, analysts, they can get jobs almost anywhere now. So it's just it's like you have, you have to retain them too, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, well, and I think the, the culture you spoke about is one of those ways where you, you can retain good talent if you're able Absolutely. to, if you're Absolutely. close to that. If you were going to walk into maybe as a consultant or something, a data team and give them two things to do tomorrow to make themselves better, whether that's you know on an individual level or on a group level, what for listeners who might be part of, you know, varying data teams, what two things might they want to do tomorrow to improve? Yeah, learn the business, understand what the CEO all the way down to your manager needs to needs to accomplish. And a lot of that can be summed up with the word profitability. But when you peel back that one layer, there's so many things that go into that. And mm-hmm. when you understand what are the layers to achieve profitability, learn that. Then two is ask questions and try to understand and propose like new ways of using data that can help you. Perfect. I think that's a good challenge for people to see if and when they can do that because these are, um, as you said, they're changing the way that we, the, we collaborate, the way that we do things. And if they can foster learning and if they can ask questions to understand those contexts, they're going to be way ahead of the game of people who have similar technical skills. Um, yeah, Ahmed, I really appreciate your insights today. It's been great talking to you about the field and uh, I hope we can talk again sometime soon. Absolutely, I really enjoyed it too. And I wish everybody that's in the data world all the best and I hope that your data solves all of your problems. Thank you once again for listening to Data Chats. I'm Chris Richardson, your host, and it's been my pleasure to speak with Ahmed Namini today. If you are looking to build business acumen and communication skills within your data team through professional training, 
sign them up for our new course, Business Driven Data Analysis. This course will improve your data team's approach to analysis and stakeholder communication and empower them to drive business outcomes through critical insights. If you want to learn more, check out pragmaticinstitute.com data.